Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BDW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. fun song was called Payday by Jason Farnham and we had to have some fun had to have a smile on my face because this yes ladies and gentlemen this is the Wrestling Outsiders podcast I am your host the one and only Emerson Whitner thank you all for listening Um, we're going to be joined by our special guest host here in just a minute or two but first I wanted to quickly preview the show, actually preview next week's show. Uh, Of course, we're doing Uncensored 96 tonight. Next Wednesday night, October 7th, uh, we'll be doing the NXT TakeOver show. Um, If the show runs long, it it won't start until after, you know, NXT ends. Um, But the last NXT show went half an hour late. But right now, we're supposed to be on at uh, 10 o'clock. If I have to push it back to 10.30, that's fine. But either way, next Wednesday night, at 10, 10.30 after NXT TakeOver. That'll be next week's show. Um, and then well, I've got the rest of October planned out. Uh, Brian is probably going to be back in time for Hell in a Cell. Um, so, yeah, we'll keep an eye out for him. I should let you know that I may do a show this weekend after the Madison Square Garden show, if anything important happens at all. If not, then I will be back, of course, next week at 10, 10.30 with NXT TakeOver. So let's uh, pull up something fun and musical and play it, and then bring in our special guest for the week. Some of the fans' uh, dissension mm-hmm. via Fire Russo chance mm-hmm. were for angles that you had developed. Well, you know my, my answer to that? I love it. Bullshit. 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 The last rights match between the Bills and Sting, bullshit, bullshit. I had nothing to do with that, and they were shouting his phone that night, bullshit, bullshit. Now, he may have went back and told Dixie, oh, Dixie, bullshit, bullshit. I had booked it, that was dead, she booked it. Listen, bullshit, bullshit. Nobody has ever said, fired up, fired up, bullshit, bullshit. Fired up, fired up on anything I ever booked, bullshit. Bullshit. Vince, I love you, buddy, and you take credit for everything. Bullshit. Bullshit. But you 
gotta take credit for the bullshit you book. Bullshit. Bullshit. And welcome back to the Wrestling Outsiders Podcast. I am Emerson Winter, of course. And tonight, for our special guest host, I had a number of people you know, would fit the bill. So I needed some help. And I went to someone uh, for assistance in picking tonight's guest host, and I asked Mr. Glenn Campbell who I should uh, have, and here's what Glenn Campbell had to tell me. Like a Yes, we have Rhinestone Cowboy on the line. How are you doing, Rhinestone? I'm doing all right. Uh, yeah, I think you have to have old farmers to uh, pick a pay-per-view like this. <laughs> I think you might have been drunk or on drugs or some ungodly thing. Jesus Christ. Yeah. So, Uncensored 96, a show I should have stopped watching after the first two matches. Um, what, uh, by the way, before we get into it, for people who don't know you, I uh, want to tell the world who you are and a little about you. Uh, yeah. I mainly stroll around on social media as the Rhinestone Cowboy Blankenship. Uh, I'm a member of the Campbell under my blog website name, uh, that's RoadQuestDriver.blogspot.com, whatever, but, uh. Yeah, I think that's pretty much it about me. Alrighty. Uh, so we'll dive in here. It was from Tupelo, Mississippi. Uh, they actually uh, were sold out, believe it or not. 9,000 people paid to see this crap fest. And yeah. I bet those people who paid for the really expensive front row seats were just happy as can be uh, by the main event. And that. yeah, I don't even know if they had any video screens or anything. Um, I know they didn't have like the WWE big video screen or anything, but you know, I don't even know if they had like a uh, arena scoreboard or anything. Um, so the show actually kicked off with a U.S. title match: Conan versus Eddie Guerrero. Um, it was a battle of baby faces, so Bobby Heenan got to break out all of his baby face material, including encouraging them to cheat against each other. Um, the match was fine, but there was no real storyline to it, and for the first five minutes or so, the fans didn't really care, uh, but they did get behind both men as the match went on. Um, as the match did go on, about it's, it weren't a whole lot of people cheering, but they began chanting for Conan... Um, they popped at uh, easy moves, well, easy to them, not so much to me. Um, for instance, the tilt a world head, tilt a world head scissors, got a nice ovation. Yeah, that, and then they had uh, those like that Mexican bumping like I'm gonna send you into the ropes and then uh, tilt the world and arm drag you, and then you're gonna pop back up. And they had that a couple times, but I think the fans really like. Mm-hmm. Um, by the way, the winner would defend the U.S. title on Nitro the next night against Mr. J.L. Now, one of life's great mysteries is to who was Mr. J.L. 
Personally, I think it could have been Hulk Hogan. What do you think? Uh, let's see. Mr. JL. Cruiserweight wore a mask. JL. Mr. JL was probably the same guy that was uh, the, the super liker in Japan. Ah, okay. That's some uh, good insider knowledge right there. I wasn't aware of that. Um, the finish, um, it reminded me of... Uh, uh, they ended up redoing this finish in NXT last year with Sami Zayn and Tyler Breeze. Um, Eddie Guerrero went for a, actually a Fez press, it looked like. Uh, but he uh, rammed his crotch into the head of Conan and went down, and Conan just laid on top of him and covered him for the pin. Um, the uh, announcers tried to play it up like Conan did it on purpose. I don't think that was the point. I think it was supposed to be an accident, and Conan just took advantage of it. But either way, Conan won a solid opener. Yeah, I have the finish. Bolero jumps nut first into Conan's head and then loses. Yep. Uh, that was that. So Conan retained the U.S. title, and Eddie lived to fight another day. Hopefully, once his nuts healed from being headbutted. Um, Colonel Parker cut a promo backstage, thanking Dirty Dick Slater for training him for his match with Medusa tonight. Colonel Parker then went off on this giant rant that I couldn't understand half of what he said. Uh, do you have any idea what he said? Uh, I just know that he was talking about he was uh, he was going to beat up Medusa, a woman, for Elvis and for all the fans out there and all the men out there. So to put this woman in her place. That what I really got from it was in the beginning, Mean Gene tells him not to shit himself. <laughs> Believe it or not, I don't, I don't even think that was the worst promo of the night. Uh, then we got we got a match that, depending on your personal taste, could have been the best match of the night. Or, I don't want to say the worst match of the night, because there were some real stinkers. But uh, I imagine there are some people who dislike the next match. Steven Regal versus Fit Finley. And yeah, these two guys will beat the shit out of each other for like almost 20 minutes, I think. Uh, I have no idea how much they were paid, but I bet they were not paid enough for beating each other as hard as they could. Um, there were fist fights that people don't hit each other as hard as these two were hitting one another. Um, and the announcers were so concerned by this that they were talking about the Spanish commentary... Uh, Dusty talked about how there were 33,000 people in the city of Tupelo, and they were all outside the arena trying to get in. Uh, Finley, uh, he also doubted that Ireland is five miles from London. I have, to, I have to write that down. I don't know exactly how far Ireland is from London, so if anybody out there would like to chime in with the answer. <laughs> I'm thinking it's probably more than uh, five miles, but you know, could be crazy here, but I think it's more than five. Uh, I would like to take sorry, a moment to talk about Fitz Finley in this match. Sure. 
my favorite moment was Regal kicking Finley right in the groin. Um, they tried to sell it like uh, Regal kicked him in the butt, but I don't think so. He uh, kicked him right in the groin, and Finley responded by breaking his nose. Um, so once... Oh. Like he legitimately broke his nose in the match? Yes. That's uh I, I did not I did not notice that. Yeah, that's what was causing Regal to bleed. Um and of course WCW had a strict no blood policy, so they immediately pulled the cameras as far back as they can and shot most of the rest of the match uh from the hard camera far away. Um I believe it was in Mr. Regal's book that he said this match was supposed to be a thirty minute draw. But Bischoff freaked out over the blood and sent Bob Eaton and David Taylor down to make it a DQ and end a thing as quick as possible. Um, he also noted that uh, when now after the match, the three of the three hills beat down Finley, and uh, they began walking away. And then Finley got up and ran after them. He noted that Bob Eaton ran for his life, and when you watch, Bob Eaton ran for his life. <laughs> Um, but yeah, Finley wins by DQ. They did have a, uh, parking lot match a few weeks later on Nitro that Finley got injured in, and that was the end of their feud until they were both in WWE. Oh, um, you, you mentioned Bischoff and Taylor. Um, I I think there was a DQ on every uncensored show. I could be wrong, and I'd have to go back and read the results again. But I know the first year they had a Randy Savage match. That was a DQ when Ric Flair uh, got dressed in drag and ran in for the DQ. And, yeah. So, that's something to look forward to. If you ever want to see Ric Flair in a dress, uncensored 95. Well, hey, Ronnie Garvin became world champion after that. Uh, we, like I said, if, I, if we stopped watching the show right here after the first two matches, it would have been a thumbs-up show, and this particular podcast would have gone 12 minutes. But our show can't go 12 minutes, and the pay-per-view can't be two matches. So... Then we get the Giant cutting a promo for his match with Loch Ness. He spent absolutely no time talking about Loch Ness and spent most of his promo talking about um, a, a world title match with Flair that he would get if he beat Loch Ness. I'd just like to say that uh, yeah, they are like, winner of uh, Giant versus Giant will get Rick Flair tomorrow on Nitro for the title. And it's like, oh, it would have been great if, you know, fucking Loch Ness would have won and next night not been able to do anything for however long he could not do anything for. 
That would have been the greatest challenge of Flair's career. And Flair managed to pull a good match out of uh, El Gigante and the Junkyard Dog. So, uh, Lockmas cut a promo, and I don't want to call him fat, but he was so wide that they could not fit his entire girth on camera during the promo. Um, He talked so quietly that Gene had to basically shove the microphone into his mouth, and even then, half the time, he couldn't hear him. Um, But finally, he started yelling about how he... Uh, what he plans to do to Jimmy Hart cannot be said on television. Well, I don't think he ended up doing anything to poor Jimmy, did he? Nah, he, uh, yeah, he didn't get his hands and, I guess, I don't know, sodomize Jimmy Hart or whatever he was going <laughs> to want to do with him. Maybe eat him. Uh, man versus woman, with the woman taking this match... Uh, the ma- the woman was not taking this, serious- this match seriously at all. Colonel Robert Parker versus Medusa. Parker was introduced as weighing in at 197 pounds. And, yeah. I was watching a WWF job match from 1986 with Mick Foley versus, I think, Hercules. And the announcer screwed up and introduced Mick Foley as weighing 148 pounds. And let's just say that Mick was closer to 148 in 1986 than Rob Parker was to 197 in 1996. Yeah, he had the, the reverse crash holly scale for that one. Yep. Um, Medusa was pretty much laughing through this entire match. She could not take this seriously. And the whole storyline to it uh, was that Colonel Parker was marrying uh, Sensational Sherry, but Medusa broke it up for some reason. And then I think Sherry got fired, so that led to Medusa feuding with Parker instead. Yeah, like, um, Parker comically sells, and just Medusa just smiling and laughing the entire time. Um, Parker gave her the Kali hanging tree slam at one point, and made me wonder if Kali versus Rob Parker could have been the worst match imaginable. Actually, Cully versus Loch Ness would have been worse. Um, Dick Slater ran out because his man was getting his butt kicked. Uh, Medusa made her come back and eventually hit the German suplex with the bridge, but Dick Slater uh, kicked her leg out, and Colonel Rob Parker rolled over on top of her for the pin. Well, he, uh, he kicked her leg out of her leg. Yes. Owen Hart would have uh, approved of that finish. Also, I have here that at one point Medusa she does uh, back-to-back drop kicks to Parker's hips from the uh, the second turnbuckle. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so. She got in as much as she could in three minutes. I, it's funny they brought her over from WWF. Well, Vince actually fired her, um, and then Eric Bischoff signed her, but they signed her. And they had no other women on the roster that could wrestle. And so Medusa was literally hired to do nothing other than surprise Vince McMahon by throwing his belt in the trash can. I think, what, they had to bring in a bunch of women from Japan? Yeah. I think they they brought in Bull Nakano for a couple shows, 
and they brought in um oh what's her name Katsuki Sasaki's wife. Um, yeah, I was watching a nitro the other night with uh, V. Marshall calling it. Akira Hokuto, that's who it was. Yeah. The one and only WCW Women's Champion. Uh, Lee Marshall's mustache interviewed the Road Warriors, who were yelling about Sting and Booker T. Did Lee Marshall... Did Lee Marshall's mustache always look that crazy? I, I think, like, Lee got up every day and put on the, the wax or some hairspray on it or something, but just... You could probably dig Lee Marshall up today and that mustache is still going on. Uh, too bad he's not still with us. Uh, he'd still be on making bad weasel jokes about 1-800-COLLECT and God knows what else. Um, memorable thing uh, I have here is that Hulk says, Hulk, Hulk says that he'll, they're going to remove the brain stem of Booker T and Sting. That would have been interesting, and the match went 30 minutes, so he may have had the time to do it. Uh, by the way, um, did you watch uh, the WWE Network version, or did you have a videotape of the, of the show? Uh, no, I watched the Network. Okay, did they have a commercial for Slamboree on there? I think they did, yeah. Okay, well, did you see what day Slamboree was on? Uh, I don't remember. I wasn't really paying attention for that commercial, but actually by this point in the pay-per-view, I was, just, uh, I was barely watching it because I knew the rest of the matches were just going to be so long and ridiculous. Well, I don't know how loud to say this, but Slamboree was on... May 19th. Oh. Yes. Although, is Caden still mad about that? Because I don't think he ever... He never brought it up again. We then got an I Quit Wrestling match between Diamond Dallas Page and The Booty Man. Now, there are many problems with this match. Not the least of which was... It was called an I Quit Wrestling match... But it was not an I quit match. It was just a regular match. And if DDP lost, he had to quit wrestling forever. The Booty Man was Ed Leslie's fourth or fifth WCW gimmick at this point. And if he won... Well, actually no. If he won, he just won. Uh, DDP won. He got Kimberly back along with whatever was left of Kimberly's winning bingo ticket. What bingo hall do you know that uh, has grand prizes of $13 million? I guess there's one down in Atlanta or uh, maybe Florida where DDP is from. We could win 13 grand on a bingo ticket. Oh, 13 million. It wasn't 13 million. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. No problem. And uh, this match was actually supposed to be Johnny B. Bad versus DDP, uh, but Johnny B. Bad's contract was up. And he was negotiating for a raise with Bischoff, who refused to give it to him. So he left the company and went to the WWF, where he debuted at WrestleMania. Um, now, the storyline they came up with, uh, which was complete bullshit, but the storyline they came up with was Hulk Hogan sent his friend, Brutus Beefcake, into the Dungeon of Doom as the Zodiac to get Dungeon of Doom secrets and whatnot. 
The problem with that is before they had the Dungeon of Doom, it was... Uh, Fear. Yeah, which was the butcher who was Brutus Beefcake trying to end the career of Hulk Hogan. So I don't want to call bullshit, but bullshit. Plus, even if it was true, if you were Kevin Sullivan, how pissed would you be that uh, you put this man into situations to wrestle Hogan and his friends, even though he was on Hogan's uh, team the whole time? Uh, he was the man with no name for one month, and he, uh, it was Slambury 95, he lost to Kevin Sullivan, so I guess technically they could have, him and Hogan could have made up in that month, but I don't know, I choose to call bullshit. Um... Being Eric Bischoff's friend did not get you that much. Yeah. Um, and he did get a lot better over the years. And it's weird going back to watch him here because he was he looked like a complete hobo. And I guess that was the storyline that he was losing his mind because his woman walked out with all of his money. Uh, and uh, this match, it went 16 minutes, which is about 10 minutes too long. But, I, but almost every match on the show went way too long. Um, I don't know why they didn't use Benoit and why Malenko was on the pre-show wrestling for a minute and why the Steiners were wrestling on the pre-show. They couldn't have had those guys wrestle a pay-per-view match and would have been a hell of a match, I'm sure. Nope. Made too much sense. Um, so Paige did his best to do absolutely nothing for the first five, six minutes to the point that he took a bump from the ring apron for Nick Patrick, the referee. Uh, Kimberly at one point came out in a very poofy dress, uh, dressed in booty man colors. Um, I don't think she was paid enough to pretend that she was in love with Ed Leslie. I don't even know if he's married. Like, in real life, I couldn't even tell you. Um, after some lengthy rest holds that Hawk was backstage watching, going, "Those are that's a great idea to do long, lengthy rest holds. Um, Paige ordered Kimberly to get up on the ring apron, so Paige kissed her, uh, so she slapped him, and the booty man won with the hiney. And... Uh, after the match, Booty Man uh, kissed Kimberly while Dusty said that he, that he, Dusty, is the only person that Kimberly hasn't kissed. Take that for what you will. Yeah, real babyface commentary from Dusty uh, Rhodes. Uh, so what did you think about that match? Mm-hmm. So people out there 
Jimmy Hart and Lex Luger are backstage. Jimmy Hart agreed to let Lex Luger out of his managerial contract. And Jimmy was so upset that he gave Lex his Lex Luger jacket. Um, this was the... It, this was in the middle of Lex Luger's official babyface turn. Um, ever since he debuted, he'd always kind of been a heel, but he was kind of a babyface when he teamed with Sting. And Sting was the only person who trusted him. Um, which, you know, when Luger then didn't trust Sting in the NWO storyline, you know, no wonder why Sting was pissed at him. Uh, See, this is uh, one thing I didn't understand, because uh, this pay-per-view is really, it's like the bookends to the McKelton Sullivan Hulk Hogan feud and if you go back and watch uh, Halloween Havoc 96 with you know the Hogan giant match and the Yente and all that uh, Luger turns heel mm-hmm. and at some point later on Luger turns face again because he teams up with Hogan and staying in like a, a war games match and now it's and I'm guessing during that time you won the tag title Thing maybe, and now he's back to being heel against Hogan again. Um, you got it a little backwards. They had the War Games match with Luger, Sting, and Hogan first, and then they had the Halloween Havoc match where Luger turned heel. But then, okay. but then the storyline was like, even though Luger was a dastardly heel, he Sting still liked him and still thought they were really good friends. And then they won the tag titles together and. It really was... It seemed to be building to a Sting heel turn, to be honest. But then they just dropped that cold and went with Luger as a babyface. Luger, by the way, said he was worried about what Sting is going to do without, and I quote, his partner, the total package Lex Luger from Chicago. I don't know why he had to point out what city he came from. But well, uh, I found it. Uh, you mentioned that because I think he says he's from Chicago, but they're like later on in Chicago street fight, the Ward Road Warriors from Chicago, like here in Mississippi. You know, mm-hmm. Doesn't matter what kind of street fight you're having. You know, it's just like you're in Mississippi, you're gonna have uh, a regular hardcore match. Yeah, and then. We got the Giant versus Loch Ness. Um, I've already reviewed this match back in episode 50. Um, it hasn't gotten any better in the last 40 episodes. Um, Loch Ness, trivia note, uh, Loch Ness came out to the same music that was eventually used for Rey Mysterio Jr. So WCW used that theme for the smallest wrestler in WCW and the largest wrestler in WCW history. Yes. Um, this match was horrible. I I want to say it was better than expected, but I mean, when you're expecting the worst match of all time, when you don't get it, you know, it's better than expected. Um, Giant at one point uh, took a big bump over the top rope to the floor outside and then won with a leg drop. And Giant, you know... I think partly he was in the ring with Loch Ness, but also he was pretty, I don't say thin, but he was a, not as big as he would be even a year later. Yeah, he was really able to still move around at that point. And uh, 
the match I have, or a lock match versus the Giant. They lock up, knee to the gut, corner chops, headbutts, corner kicks. Uh, lock match hits one elbow drop but misses the second. And the finish, the Giant hits a big move leg drop and gets the win. Mm-hmm. And the leg drop was a shout-out to his rival, Hulk Hogan. And yeah. Yeah, which commentary didn't really pick up on. No. Um, and also, I remember watching the match live, and I just assumed that Loch Ness was going to win because I didn't think... Because uh, I knew that Giant was never going to give Loch Ness the choke slam, And, of course, he could not win with any other move, right? Uh um, we got the way, 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 way too long Chicago street fight. Sting and heel Booker T versus the Road Warriors. Um, as mentioned, the Chicago street fight took place in Tupelo, Mississippi. And, uh, the match was scheduled as Sting and Luger. Uh, but the storyline was Jimmy Hart had the managerial contract for Luger. So he used his power to take Luger out of this match and put him in the main event. And so Sting uh, asked Booker T to team with him, and Booker agreed to team with him as long as if they won, Harlem Heat would get a shot at the tag team titles. So were the Road Warriors faced by this point? Because I'm not face or heel. They've always come off the heel to me. Um, I'm pretty sure they were faces. But to be honest, I don't remember them ever wrestling a single heel team. Like, I, they may have wrestled Harlem Heat, but I remember them wrestling the Steiners, and I re- remember them wrestling Sting and Booker. Uh, and they weren't there that long either way, but I think they were supposed to be babyfaces. Um, this match, as I mentioned before, was long. It, it went just under 30 minutes. Um, literally, I could have left my house, gone to the bank, made a withdrawal from the ATM before going to the store across the street from me to buy a bag of Doritos, and then come home just in time for the end of the match. Um, they did they did a very good first ten minutes, and it was very different from a lot of street fights. Um, but uh, after ten minutes... The match fell apart at points. All four men were blown up uh, beyond belief with Animal uh, the worst. Um, Hawk at points. Hawk was smart. Uh, He spent a lot of time in long submission holds. Uh, And actually, Booker T had a really nice uh, arm breaker, the Alberto Del Rio arm breaker on at one point, Uh, which, of course, you know, the, uh, the only call to it was... I think Dusty said that uh, there might be some uncling going on in the ring. At some point, Hulk's uh, no sell the pile driver from Sting, and he, like, pops up before Sting does. Mm-hmm. He's just Oh, yeah. Um, the Road Warriors never sell. I was, I was shocked that they took a now, it wasn't a clean finish, but a pretty clean finish for what it was. Um, Animal clotheslined the ring post, which I was pretty sure was going to lead to the end of the match. It was not. Instead, Animal sold it for about 30 seconds, 
and then just ignored it and moved on with the rest of his life. Um, Sting said, F this, and just walked to the back at one point, and before coming out with two brooms, um, which the Road Warriors quickly took from him and beat the crap out of both men. Booker decided, you know what, I'm tired of being hit with a broom, and so he walked away. Um, so Animal, I would say, chased after him, except, you know, it was the world's slowest chase. Honestly, I think I could have caught up to Booker quicker, and I'm not in peak physical condition. <laughs> um, so Sting and Hawk were left in the ring. Animal and Booker were walking backstage and walked by Lex Luger, who was primping in the mirror. Um, Animal accidentally hit Luger, so Luger and Stevie Ray, of all people, attacked Animal, um, throwing him off a metal post that was in the back, and then handcuffed his hands together around the post. Uh, and, of course, Sting, the storyline being Sting, had no idea this was happening. And, in fact, uh, I bet 9,000 people had no idea what was happening either. Um, Sting tried to give Hawk a stinger splash outside the ring, but Hawk moved, so Sting rammed against the guardrail. Uh, Booker T returned and tried to give Hawk a Harlem hangover. Hawk moved. So Stevie Ray ran down, hit Hawk with a chair, and Booker, in probably his biggest victory up to this point, uh, pinned Hawk and won the match for the team. Any uh, more thoughts on this one? That's not bad enough. The main event was next. Oh, God. To this, As I'm sitting here, I cannot tell you how the heels were supposed to be able to win the main event. And the, when the Babyfaces won, they didn't even win by the rules that were stated. They were supposed to leave all three cages, and they ended up winning by pinfall against the guy who wasn't supposed to be in the bottom cage. But... Yeah, you know, eliminated. Never they yeah, climbed down. Yeah, but I'm getting well ahead of myself here. So the Doomsday Cage match. A idea by Hulk Hogan that he sent a... The story is he sent a drawing of, you know, this idea for a three-tier cage to Eric Bischoff and Bischoff had no idea what the hell it was supposed to be. And eventually, WCW came up with this. Um, it was Hulk Hogan and Randy Savage in an 8-on-2 handicap match against Ric Flair, Arn Anderson, Lex Luger, Kevin Sullivan, Ming, who, by the way, hailed from some unknown part of the planet... The Barbarian, who is a real man's man, according to 
uh, what's his name, Michael Buffer, Z Gangsta, who was uh, uh, Zeus, Tiny Lister, and The Ultimate Solution, who at one point was called The Final Solution, until someone in TBS said, hey, that might not sound right. So he became The Ultimate Solution. Thing, uh, starting off Flair and Arn Anderson, Arn Anderson decked in his, his best uh, black sweatsuit. They were wrestling on top of, uh, on the third tier, it started with Flair and Arn up top, and it was just a mesh floor, so nobody could get a real good uh, foothold. They weren't taking... I mean, I guess they took a bump or two, but they weren't taking any good bumps uh, because if they took a bump on that thing, they were going to cut their back up all to hell. Um, it was just a lot of... Whatever, like chops, chokes, and kicking. Yeah. No one really wanted to bump on the, uh, the case floor. Yeah. Um, allegedly, Brian Pillman was supposed to be in it. Uh, it was supposed to be Brian Pillman and a eighth mystery person who they never actually figured out who it was going to be. Um, and then when Brian Pillman called them and told them he was going to be, uh, he wasn't doing it because he was getting surgery, uh, they put in Mangan Barbarian. But of course, despite them saying that, despite Pillman telling them, you know, at least a week in advance, they continued to plug Pillman for this match right up to the middle of the match, actually. Um, and Gangston Ultimate Solution were kept in the back for probably the first 20 minutes, which I still don't know whether that was a good thing or a bad thing. Um, the match was poorly lit. Let's start with that. They had the three cages set up where the entranceway would normally be, um, but they didn't really light it very well. I don't even know if they could light it very well at all. Um, and I can't imagine anyone in the arena having any idea what was going on in that match. Yeah, everybody was, you know, it's like, look to your left or look to your right. Yeah. Um, like we said, they never actually said how the heels were supposed to win. The baby faces were supposed to win by climbing down through each layer of the cage, and then they're supposed to escape the bottom cage, which, yeah, we'll, we'll get to the finish here. But, uh, but they never said the heels needed to escape the cage, or the heels needed to pin one of them anything at all um and yeah my favorite moment of the match probably was flair chopping hogan and hogan being so mad that he took his shirt off um finally hogan and savage got tired of beating on flair and anderson so they threw powder at them and climbed into the middle cage with sullivan luger mang and barbarian there was stuff happening and it was so just it was shot badly the match was just shit you know no, uh, Flair and Anderson just climbed down after them too so it was 6 on 2 at this point um, they had uh, the middle cage was kind of had a wall in between two sections so there was a door and so they somehow locked the door to set, like, three or four of them on one side. And so Hogan and Savage beat on Luger and Sullivan. Um, they're on one cage, and uh, 
Um, honestly, I think this led to the only decent part of the of the entire match. Because uh, Sullivan, Luger, Hogan, and Savage, for some unexplained reason, except just to make the match slightly better, all left the cage and went to the ring. And they wrestled for five, six minutes just in the ring. And normally, Hogan and Savage versus Lex Luger and Kevin Sullivan would probably be a shitty match. But in this case, it improved the match quite a bit. Should be. It really should be. I I learned it's best not to ask questions about this match because you're just gonna go crazy. It nothing made sense in this at all. Um, they finally decided that it was that at some random point, like there was no set time or anything, just at some random point, the gangsta and the ultimate solution came out and dragged Hogan and Savage back to the giant cage. I should point out that Jimmy Hart uh, scurried up the scaffolding and unlocked the cage to let Flair, Anderson, Mangan, Barbarian out. And Mangan, Barbarian proceeded to fall off the face of the earth because we never saw them again. Um, we ended up with Zeus and Jeep Swenson versus Hulk Hogan and Randy Savage. The This was awful. Um, Zeus was awful in 1989, and that was with Pat Patterson holding his hand and choreographing every spot in the match. He was a lot worse in 1996 when he didn't have Pat Patterson there to help him out. And Jeep was so big, the ultimate solution, he was so large, he could not do anything. And he really couldn't move. Um, God bless Savage, but I think he's the only person trying in this match. Um, Zeus, I don't even think, was wearing his lifts because it didn't look like he was much taller than Savage. And back in the WWF days, he was uh, taller than Hogan. Um, I do want to say, I did like the look of the match when they got to that bottom cage uh, with the blue and the red light shining down into it. Uh, maybe I'm the only one, but I just I liked how it looked. Um, I didn't like the match going on, mind you, but I liked the way that uh, the TV show looked. Um, Arn and Flair came back to try to save the match um, to make it four on two. Booty Man, I wrote Booty Man ran in for the save, but what he actually did was Booty Man ran in and gave Hogan and Savage some weapons and then left. Yeah, steel frying pans. Yes. Hogan was a dick. Hogan was taking this frying pan and hitting people with it so hard that it broke at one point. Uh, Luger ran in to make it five on two because the numbers just weren't uh, good enough in the heel's favor. Luger at one point put on a glove uh, of just a plain black glove while Flair held Savage. Savage moved out of the way. Luger saw it and stopped and then decided screw it and hit Flair anyway, which I guess officially turned him babyface. 
um, for, you know, for doing that, he then turns around and gets punched out by Hulk Hogan. Yep, because Hogan's a dick, too. Um, Hogan and Savage turn to leave the cage, but Savage is like, ah, what the hell, I'm going to pin Flair while I'm here. And Savage pinned Flair in an eight-on-two handicap match where you had to leave the cage to win. Ric Flair did the job. I was after, uh, I don't know, okay, you probably know, it was, it was after Hogan came in, and they had, it was him and Flair, and they had, like, a retirement match or something, Flair mm-hmm. lost, of course, and they had to retire. Mm-hmm. He then did a, uh, then Hogan did a strap match with Vader, and neither of them would do the job, so they had Ric Flair do interference in that match, and lose the match for Vader. Yeah, of course. I I swear I, uh, it, I don't know what story is more unbelievable: the story of WCW or the story of TNA. Uh, so that was uncensored. Um, I don't know about you, but that's an easy thumbs down for me. I started watching the show last night instead of watching Raw, and I'm like, man, I should have watched Raw. And then I watched Raw, and I'm like, man, I should have just not watched anything. Yeah. <sighs> so Hornswoggle's a drug addict, or something. The only person in two years to fail a drug test. I'm oh, sorry, before we get into that, let me just say one last thing about this uh, pay-per-view. And... I want to say on the, the Rise and Fall of WCW and probably some other ones, they have a part where Eric Bischoff is talking about the differences in WWF and WCW and how he was like, WWF was cartoony and, and whatever, and WCW was real. Well, my guys are going to use the real name. And if you watch the end credits, it's like, executive producer Eric Bischoff. Like, yeah, this is some real true life stuff with uh, Lock Nuts Monsters and gangsters and stuff. Yes. Um, and the monster truck battle was a few months earlier. And... Oh, oh, yeah. The Ron Reese being dressed up as a mummy coming out of a block of ice as a Yeti. Well, did you, did you ever watch World War Three the next month with the 60-man battle royal? Um, I think I started it, but uh, I didn't oh. finish it. I, I want to say what they... Originally, they wanted to bring back Giant Gonzales or something. Yeah. Uh, the reason why I bring that up is because the Yeti got a change of uniform. Um, did you ever play Mortal Kombat uh, as a kid? Oh, yeah. Uh, the Yeti's new uniform for one match was dressed like Scorpion from Mortal Kombat with a big black and yellow uh, suit. He was, he was still billed as the Yeti? Yes. Wow. It, welcome to my childhood. How on earth did I keep watching wrestling after this point? Oh, God. 
So is there anything uh, else you want to talk about here as we start to wrap things up? there was this god I don't even know how to describe it there, there was a performance evaluation of Kane last night on Raw and I I can see people liking it in a perverse way like it was so bad it was good but it was just the most ridiculous segment on Raw in years and I think it's one of those segments that people are going to be talking about 10 years from now when they uh, uh, post YouTube videos of crap we had to watch and that was something. So if you watch anything, uh, check that out. It was Kane's performance review with a woman from HR. But as we... I guess we'll wrap things up from here. Um, do you have anything you want to plug? Any social media? Any uh, anything else you're into? Uh, uh, not really. I mean, I got all the sites, social media, profiles, things. But I've really been taking a break from all that. Alrighty. So yeah, I do want to thank you for doing the show, and uh, we will be right back. I'm back here, and, you know, I've got ECW to talk about. ECW from November 2nd, 1993. It was episode number 30, for those of you curious to go back and watch. I would like to point out that the last episode we watched was October 19th, and the next episode we're going to watch is December 14th. So either WWE is really fucking with people... Or, more likely, the video quality of those other episodes are so awful that it would be, uh, it would just be horrible to post them. Um, I know that there are many of these old ECW shows with horrible static and God knows what else. And to be honest, I swear they're just using videotapes from our video. And to be fair, half of those tapes are actually better than what you're watching on the WWE Network. And they're using the master tapes. So we'll dive right in. This show was edited 
Um, I'm pretty sure they had a couple music videos and something else on the show. Because at the end of the day, we only had 27 minutes and a normal TV show, a normal hour-long show after commercials is 42 minutes. So there's at least 15 minutes missing here. And I couldn't even hazard a guess to what else they could edit off other than just a bunch of music videos. Um, But we open the show with the Sandman and Peaches backstage cutting a promo on their upcoming match with Shane Douglas. Sandman has been ECW champion before, and he's confident he'll be ECW champion again. And Peaches, by the way, is the most useless person on the show, as she's the manager of Sandman, but she's just standing behind him, nodding her head. I could do that. Hell, Brian did that for a year and a half. <laughs> um, we got some videotape footage from Ultra Clash 93, which was the show they had in September. And uh, they showed us highlights of Shane Douglas. Um, I thought it was winning the ECW title, but it was actually, this was just the normal uh, retention of the title against the Sandman. And the finish of that match was Sandman coming off the top with a high cross body block, Shane Douglas rolling through on that, and grabbing a handful of tights for the win. Um, We then got a music video of the Sandman wrestling overweight Don Morocco, Nikita and Ivan Koloff, someone who looked like Van Hammer, the Metal Maniac, and in this music video, they showed him cutting a promo. You couldn't hear what he was saying, but you were watching him cut a promo. Go figure. So that led us to the first match of the evening for the ECW Heavyweight Championship. Shane Douglas defends against the Sandman. Or is it? We went backstage. Shane Douglas is already in the ring. And we go backstage to yet another Sandman promo. Except this time, Sandman's laid out. Todd Gordon runs in, yelling about Sabu, and what's Sabu doing going to the ring? Paulie dangerously walked up and told Todd Gordon that since he's still the manager of record for the franchise, Shane Douglas, he's using a substitution clause to have Shane wrestle and defend the belt against Sabu instead. So that led to our real first match of the evening, again for the ECW title, Shane Douglas versus Sabu. It went two minutes. And uh, Sabu did absolutely nothing until the finish. Uh, The match started with Sherry kicking Paul Heyman's ass all over the ring. I imagine she got that instead of getting a paycheck that week. So who knows. Uh, Paul was carried away by 911 and another handler of Sabu's. But he was carried to the back and then just walked back to the ringside area. I don't know what the point of that whole thing was. But either way, Sabu made his comeback and won, like I said, in two minutes with a moonsault. So Sabu is still, or Sabu, I'm sorry, is the new ECW champion. Um, and then Sabu was dragged backstage kicking and screaming while Paulie celebrated with the belt. Paulie then cut a backstage promo about the November to remember and how great he is. He compared him and Sabu to other great duos, including Fred Flintstone and Wilma. So President Todd Gordon walked up, not sure when he stops becoming president and starts being the commissioner, uh, but he walked up and announced that the main event of November to remember, um, in addition to Terry Funk's title belt being on the line, Sabu's title will also be on the line, so whoever won would get both belts, 
and what I thought was actually was a singles match is actually a tag team match with Sabu and Road Warrior Hawk versus Terry Funk, who's the TV champion, and a mystery partner. And I guess the stips are if either of the opponents pin Sabu, they become the ECW champion. And if either of the uh, Sabu or Hawk pin Terry Funk, they become the TV champion. But if you pin either Hawk or the mystery partner, you don't win a belt. At least that's how I'm supposed to get out of it. Um, Gordon actually showed Paulie who Terry Funk's mystery partner would be, and Paulie freaked out. So Todd got this big ass smile on his face, turned to the camera, and was about to announce who it was when Paul ordered the camera shut off and physically went and had the camera shut off instead of uh, allowing it to be shown. And actually, while uh, while I'm talking here, I meant to look up who uh, Paul's uh, not who Paul's mystery partner was. But who Terry Funk's mystery partner was. And while my computer's going extra slow, uh, we'll go to the other match of the show. There was only two matches in 27 minutes. And that was uh, Bad Breed versus Chad Austin. And I think they said the other man's name was Todd Young. Bad audio quality. So, you know, I I could get Todd's name wrong, but I'm pretty sure it was Todd Young. Um, Austin weighed about 150 pounds. Axel and Ian Rotten are, you know, at least 300, 350 pounds each. And Chad Austin's just throwing each of them around like they weigh nothing. Um, which I thought was just hilarious. Um, by the way, Terry Funk's, uh, partner was King Kong Bundy. King Kong Bundy was Terry Funk's partner, um, for that. And uh, let's see here. And Sabu and Road Warrior Hawk won. So I'm assuming either Sabu or Hawk won the TV title. I can say it now because, like I said, our next show is in the middle of December or the end of December. Uh, let's see. Yep, Sabu won the TV title. So he was a double champion for a while there. Uh, so we'll see when he loses one or the other title. But before that... Um, Axel Rotten hit a spinning heel kick, by the way, which looked awesome. It was better than Savio Vega's spinning heel kick, if you remember that. Um, the finish was, uh, the Rotten's winning with a rocket launcher, which was called the British Bomb. And Ian actually used a double arm DDT, which is one of the first times, you know, you've ever seen that in North America. I don't remember when Mick Foley started using it, but, you know, it was around the same time. Jimmy Snuka cut a promo barking at the camera. Mr. Hughes then debuted with, you know, Joey Styles putting over that, you know, Lex Luger was so afraid of Mr. Hughes, he hired him to be his bodyguard. Uh, he put over that Mr. Hughes did all these things to The Undertaker early in the year, which is so weird to hear on ECW, somebody being put over for their accomplishments on uh, WWF and WCW. But anyway, Mr. Hughes cut a promo building up his match with Johnny Gunn, who, by the way, Mr. Hughes and Johnny Gunn, two of the forgotten people to be in to be in WWF, WCW, and ECW. Johnny Gunn was Sal Sincere. Um, November to Remember, by the way, was the day after the first UFC show, and in this November to Remember, they promoted a shoot fight with Kevin Sullivan and Tommy Cairo, um, and the rules of the fight were actually similar to, you know, the current MMA rules, which is actually kind of funny because UFC 
their only rules were uh, no fish hooking, and I think that was it because you know they did do groin shots. Um, Kevin Sullivan uh, sent in a tape promo from Florida, and he had the camera person shoot him with the Andre shot to make him look eight feet tall, to make five foot two inch Kevin Sullivan look three feet taller than he was. And uh, he talked about how brutal the match is going to be. And he interspersed this promo with footage of him fighting Abdullah the Butcher. We got the show, uh, I guess the last angle of the show, was a very poor video from a wrestling convention uh, from a few weeks earlier with the Medusa and Sherry. And the gist of this uh, was <laughs> that they both have sex with a lot of men. I'm serious. Um, Sherry, uh, Medusa, by the way, cut, started by cutting a horrible promo, uh, saying that Sherry's scared of her and runs away every time she can. And so Sherry got the ball rolling by talking about how Medusa was a bimbo in the AWA, and she slept with all the guys in the AWA. So then she went to Japan to be, to sleep with all the guys in Japan. And she then said, th these are the things she actually said. Sherry said that she fucked Greg the Hammer Valentine. And so did Medusa, apparently. So Medusa told her to kiss her ass. Uh, they yelled at each other about each other having sex. Uh, Medusa yelled that she was going to the WWF, so Sherry made sure to leave. And that was it, to build up a match between Medusa and Sherry at the November to Remember. And the show ended back in the Eagle's Nest. Joey Styles and Jason, the sexiest man alive, were there, and Joey asked Jason about everything we just saw, and Jason ended the show by asking Joey what he thought of his jacket. I want to point out, Jason was like the best part of the show, but uh, the funny thing was, uh, they ended the show, but it looked like they were going to cut away to another music video, and I don't know why they didn't air it. I mean, maybe it would have been impossible to air with all, uh, not being allowed to play the actual music, there may have been a lot of promos interspersed. It may not have come off the same way. But, yeah, it they just didn't air the thing. So that's it from this. That's it for this week. Um, we'll be back next week, like I said, with NXT TakeOver. Um, do another ECW show next week. I've got guest hosts lined up for the rest of the month. And uh, Brian, like I said, will be back eventually. Uh, my friend Lauren's going to be on at the end of the month. We're going to review No Holds Bar, the movie. She's going to hate me at the end of that. <laughs> but uh, either way, so we're going to finish things up. Thank you all for listening. Take care, and I'll see you in seven days. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on Chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.